<laughs> I was in theta. Oh, I actually, uh, one of my, I just lost one of my very best friends since I was eight years old, uh, who's a Theta member. I saw uh, that. I'm so sorry to see that. that was yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was, that was very awful. Theta's a great uh, sorority. Um, a lot of friends who are members of Theta as well. And, uh, um, but, uh, yeah, no, UPenn's a really a fantastic school to network. I'll tell you, so often my students ask me, you know, how do I network? How do I network? You just have to do it. And it's a big part of what will set you know, people's goals forward and other people's backwards. Uh, you know, if you don't have a good ability to network, your career is going to be, you know, handicapped due to that. It's just the way it is. I mean, VC, VC especially at the early stage, is very, very centered around, I mean, not centered around, but you have to have the soft skills along with the hard skills, but your network is insanely important. I mean, I met my first... I met, I met my boss at ENIAC through someone in my sorority, and then I met Laurel, my current partner, um, through just some another friend who actually is ending, I think I told you this before, but he, the guy that introduced me to my partner is now the fiance of the girl that introduced me to my former boss. It's oh my God, what a small connected world. Uh, small world, but Anyway, you just got to keep, keep not right now, but going out there, putting yourself out there, putting yourself in situations that you wouldn't normally use. Your, say that, you know, I went to Horseman and I would love to connect with fellow HM alum or just, you, there's never harm in asking. Yeah. And I found that to just be consistent through and through. You know, with COVID-19, there, there's a huge flight to the suburbs. And I think a lot of people are eschewing, uh, you know, the values that growing up in a city offers. You know, I myself, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a city rat. I couldn't possibly survive in the suburbs. I'd probably just, uh, you know, I, I would just turn off or something. Um, but, you know, when you grow up in the city, you know, not only do you grow up with a network. I mean, I think of my friends from Trinity and Buckley, uh, but, you know, you already have a network. And, and Horace Mann, which is uh, another school where the network, just from having gone to that school, is, is quite impressive. I mean, actually, so my three elder brothers all went to Horace Mann. And so, you know, I had actually always thought I was going to go to Horace Mann. I, I was accepted. I was, I was accepted to the school. And uh, I only applied to Horace Mann, Trinity, and Collegiate. And I got into all three. But uh, Trinity was, to me, the best option. I didn't have to go to the Bronx. And Collegiate was all boys, so you know, that was out. And... You know, my network of Trinity has become very important to me. So many of my best friends, uh, you know, happen from Trinity. So yeah, I think networking is very, very, very important. So your tell us about your 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 partner now. Um, I know she's a very impressive entrepreneur. Yeah. So Laurel brings a lot of the operating side, um, which is honestly super attractive to founders when they're looking to you know pick the VC that they want if if they have the luxury of picking the VC mm -hmm. that they want capital from. Um, so she was, she actually started out as a business journalist. Um, she said, studied economics, but ended, ended up wanting to combine the world of media and, and um, business and journalism. So she, she was a business journalist. And then she, she realized that she wanted to create an actual operating company based on her interest in just gathering people and networking. And she ended up creating this company called Media Bistro. Um, she raised 500K in capital from uh, Marty Peretz and Bill Ackman. Very, if that, in, the, in the scheme of things, that's a very small amount. Yes, um, yes, she did this you know, 
in the 90s when there were, there were not very, very, very few women entrepreneurs, especially on the East Coast. Um, she had one of like the biggest tech exits um, in that arena. Anyway, she basically, she created a LinkedIn for the media community and, mm-hmm. you know, could have, I think she could have ended up being Craig or Linda at some point, but she, oh. she ended up selling and she had a nice exit and, and um, she hustled. She had, you know, scaled this company to millions of dollars and millions of customers. Yeah. Um, they asked JP Morgan how he got rich and his response to the reporter was, well, I sold too early. So there's definitely a credence to selling too early. You never know how the, uh, the end is going to conclude. But, you know, her selling brought us to today, to, to you two uh, and your current company. And I would love to know what you guys are looking at. You know, what, what are exciting trends? Where totally. One, one more humble brag on Laurel is that with all of her, she, she has been in angel investing for, you know, eight or nine years before we met. So she has a pretty, pretty built portfolio of like 20, 20 some portfolio companies and she calls them like, I mean, she's actually, she's had some home runs and a couple of them she used, she, she calls that um, mistakes that she made to learn for, for before she started super remote with me. Um, and then she helps our portfolio companies a lot with access to media um, and press. And it's been super, super helpful for, for founders at the early stage. And um, yeah, we curate these very, very, very specific events for, um, you know, for example, if we're doing, if we're, if we're highlighting an event on, on one of our portfolio companies and supply chain, we'll do, you know, a supply chain and logistics uh, dinner when we're not in COVID and we'll invite later stage investors that are interested in participating in later rounds, journalists that are interested in writing on the topic, and then, you know, potential enterprise customers. Me, so it's been- Sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, Jenny, but- all right. Is your firm uh, involved with the the food technology business as well? Yeah. I would love to learn more about that. Uh, food technology is something that at Rebellion Research we've covered in depth, and I, I'm just fascinated by uh, you know, where the industry is headed. It's it is wildly fascinating. So actually, that was one of our deep dives. We did that. I mean, we did that that deep dive. I did two summers ago. Um, it basically started because as a general theme, I just found that alternative foods were just, it was just going to become from every perspective, environmentally sustainability, mm-hmm. um, cost cutting, just, just in general, it, it sort of hit every part of, of the ecosystem, um, in a net positive way. And then you're not killing slaughtering animals at no. all. Um, and then in, in supply chain, there's so many, it like just fits as a puzzle. And I was so excited about it. So we started at the top. Um, so we went, we went from this entire umbrella starting, should we, do, should we look at plant-based alternatives or like the impossibles of the world? And this was before many people, like impossible wasn't in, Burger, many people hadn't. Even no, no, heard no. Impossible came onto the scene just a year ago. I think before a year ago, nobody really had thought of yeah. Talk about alternative food. That was like the most, I remember another fun telling me like the most fun part of his job before I was really doing it on my own was being able to do a deep dive um, in such a nascent industry where you and like 20 other people can talk about it. And it's just wildly fascinating. So like, so we started up top doing, figuring out if we wanted to do plant-based or actually sell cultured meat. And the difference between the two is that opportunities for plant-based are endless. Like we've seen like dairy and, and 
you know, mushroom, like there's just, you can make anything out of plant-based and now it's become more of a branding tactic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, who's selling the best plant-based bars and it's endless. Like there's no real moat. And we saw that pretty much early on, it was starting to, that was starting to become the trend. Um, and this was before, you know, like, this was before, yeah, again, before Beyond Meat was even a thing, before any of this, we just sort of thought that- You had a Beyond Burger? Do you like the Beyond Burgers? So as part of our, like, these, uh, as part of our, our studies, we actually did, as a team, order a bunch of Impossible Burgers. It was fine, it was fine, totally fine. Um, it's they, there's that whole like uncanny valley effect where people, if it's not a hundred percent of what you think it's supposed to be, if, oh, yeah. like, then people are like very keen to react immediately and just like criticize it. But it's not, they, so you need to be like 100 on the spot percent exactly like you would be eating a burger. And it, you know, it's like there's this, it's so interesting because it goes into like. If you're vegan, would you eat it? If you're kosher, would you? There's a whole there's a whole phenomenon that goes into it. But we ended up actually not spending time in an investment in plant based, and we ended up um, and there there had been hundreds of million dollars into the space in general and in, in alternative foods. We ended up looking into um, cell cultured meat, which is basically like if you take a just a, a small swab. Um, for example, on a pig, anywhere, anywhere where there's densely populated cells, you can re-engineer those cells into both muscle and fat tissue, mm -hmm. and then create, it's easiest right now to create, um, you know, like pork sausage, things that don't really require structure. Like it, it will be a long time before we have like a, a chicken bone, you know? So, so, okay, so, so you basically, you replicate these cells, um, there's a lot of tech involved in it um, and a lot of it's both a hardware and software play you sort of need to figure out um, there's well, so many stepping back from 30,000 feet that sounds like a stupid question but are we further along with fake uh, sugars or are we further along with fake meats or is that kind of a hard I would, answer it's a hard question answer but I would say <sighs> I would say, I, uh, well, wh which one are you asking about? Like, are you asking about plant-based or are you asking about cell culture? Well, I, I want to be able to have chocolate without carbohydrates. Uh, you know, when can I have glucose-free chocolate? No, no carbs in my chocolates and no sugar in my chocolate. I mean, I, I, I have a very, very disciplined diet. You know, I try to keep my calories around 1,200 a day and, you know, I really try and avoid uh, you know, sugar at all possible. Uh, so, but I love chocolate. So unfortunately I'll be able to have chocolate for you know, quite a while. So I look forward to the day when, you know, we can engineer chocolate that will abide by my diet. So we, the meat has become a lot a very prevalent. I would say that the sugar substitutes still have some ways to go, um, you know, like, Think about think about like Halo Top and Yasso, like all of these. There's like the fake sugar in these like delicious ice cream pops and stuff like that. Oh. Those, it's not. 
See, the thing is with the alternative meats is that we're, I don't even like to call cell culture 